Hello, Detroit. Hello, Pistons fans. This is the Sports Ethos Pistons podcast. I'm your host, Joey Gadaris, with you three times a week right here on sportsethos.com. And you can find me on Twitter at Ethos Pistons. Also, like and subscribe, follow us on Twitter, do all those things. We love the support. On today's show, it is Wednesday, February 9th. We are eagerly awaiting the NBA trade deadline, which is tomorrow, Thursday, February 10th at 3 p.m. So we have a little over 24 hours. And, of course, we expect something to come down, something to happen involving the Pistons. It could be Jeremy Grant, who is most often rumored, or something more minor. Something has to give, uh, in my opinion. Hopefully, the Pistons can bring in some size in their front court, be that an impact player or a prospect. doesn't really matter. We just need something um, to give us a spark, especially as we're coming off a five-game losing streak which we will touch on today we'll talk about the last two games the Pistons have played on Sunday against the Timberwolves and then last night against the Mavericks and we'll also do a deep dive at the end of the show into my favorite most frustrating Piston uh, Killian Hayes 68 games into his career um, he couldn't be more up and down but he has shown some flashes lately I know the fan base coalescing around the idea that Bench Killian is here. Bench Killian is a different guy. But I, I want to kind of debunk that a little bit and get into some of his international scouting profile from his pre-MBA days and just talk about what we see, um, but, but similarities between his NBA game, his European game, and just how much road ahead there is for Killian still in his development. Um and I mean that in a positive way. I really think he can grow into a very good player still. But first, listeners, please take a moment to follow at EthosFantasyBK on Twitter, the single most dominant basketball and fantasy news feed on earth. Get all your NBA news in one handy Twitter feed. It's faster than the competition and provides more analysis too. Again, that's at EthosFantasyBK on Twitter. Follow now, especially as that trade deadline comes down. A lot is happening in fantasy basketball. A lot is happening in real basketball. Things are getting super shaken up. Um, But let's talk Pistons. The Pistons are 12-42, and officially the worst team in the league. We've lost five games in a row, four of them without Cade Cunningham. The Pistons are missing Cade very badly. The returns of Jeremy Grant and Kelly Olynyk have not done anything to help us. If anything, they've maybe hurt us. Both have come back and been pretty bad, pretty uninvolved, pretty lazy, um, pretty sloppy. But on a positive note related to Cade, and this is just I'm, I'm quick hitting some news at the top of the show here. Cade was announced um, that he will be a participant in the NBA Skills Challenge as part of All-Star Weekend coming up, teaming up with high school teammate Scotty Barnes, and fellow Rookie of the Year candidate, frontrunner type of player, Josh Giddy from the Oklahoma City Thunder. Um, should be a pretty fun competition. Uh, they're changing the format for this this year, I think. I think it's a new format. Two three-player teams. One of the teams has Cade and Scotty and Josh, and that's the rookie team. And then there's a team of Cavs, Darius Garland, Jared Allen, and Evan Mobley. 
and a team of Antetokounmpo's, the three um, Antetokounmpo brothers. So <laughs> should be interesting. I honestly think uh, the rookies have a pretty good shot at that considering what the skills challenge has been in the past, what it probably will be this year, and how all three of those guys are sort of supersized point guard players. Um, that should be pretty fun and sort of cater to their skill sets. So just another thing to watch at All-Star Weekend. Cade is certainly making the Pistons fun in a lot of different ways, and it sucks when he's out. Um, not to say that we, we win games all the time when he's in there, but five in a row is rough. Four without Cade is rough. We got to catch up on the Sunday loss to the Timberwolves on the road, 118-105, as well as last night's loss to the Mavericks, in which the Pistons got absolutely whooped, 116-86. to Let's start with Sunday in Minnesota, um, and let's just, let's just hit it really quick by talking about who played well. And, you know, when we watch games, we don't so much care about the outcome as much as the performances of our young players. And if they develop, we consider that a win. So Sadiq went for 24 points, eight rebounds, three assists with a block and six threes. Huge game. Great game. Isaiah Stewart brought in 12 rebounds, eight of them offensive to go with four blocks. Part of a part of a mini surge here for Isaiah. We'll talk about him uh, and sort of that surge when we get to the Mavericks game because he played well again. But the real headline for a lot of fans was Killian Hayes, who blew up in the second half, scoring 10 points in the fourth quarter. It was almost unbelievable what we were seeing. A Killian takeover with multiple crafty finish, multiple crafty finishes at the, at the rim, an, an emphatic dunk, even a, a, a three-pointer with his foot on the line, so it, it ended up being a two. But we saw a little bit of everything from Killian in this game. He finishes with a line of 10 points, three rebounds, eight assists, a steal and a block on five of seven shooting. That's very encouraging. We were all very encouraged heading into Tuesday night's game against the Mavericks, and we all came down a little bit off that one, right? Um, it was not the same thing, not the same case. The Pistons just get smacked by a team led by the dynamic Luka Doncic and built very well, I might add, right? They got a lot of long defenders who can shoot the three, and they lit up the Pistons, who just had no idea um, how to play either end of the floor against them. Isaiah Stewart and Hamadou Diallo were the best players on the floor for the Pistons in a game, like I said, that had very little positive um, to talk about. But Isaiah, 14 points and 15 rebounds, five offensive rebounds. Seems like he's really hitting his stride as a rebounder, um, as well as playing 30 minutes a night. Over the last six games, he's averaging 31 minutes. The fouls are way down to 2.7, right? Early in the season, Stu, you know, sort of in that 20 to 25-minute range, partly because he couldn't stop fouling people. Um, I don't know what's changed. Maybe the refs are starting to respect him a little more, um, but it's, it's a very positive thing. 9.5 points per game on nine attempts over the last six. 13.3 rebounds, 6.2 offensive rebounds to go with nearly an assist and a block. So nothing here is sort of blowing you away, but the attempts are up. The rebounds are up. The offensive rebounds have doubled from his season average. And you'd have to point to those five extra minutes per game as to why that's happening. Very good stuff from Isaiah. Hamadou is also a guy to watch, especially when Cade is out. 
He absorbs that usage and took the second most shots on the team on Tuesday. 14. Only six went in. And a final line of 18 points, five rebounds, one assist, one steal. But 506 from the free throw line is encouraging. And he hit a three. 26 minutes. That's above Hamadou's average for the season by about five minutes as well. So when Cade goes out, some guys step up. In the four games that Cade has been out, Hamadou has played around his normal 23 minutes a night, but he's slid into the starting lineup, and he's seen his scoring go from 11 points to 15 points, his rebounds from 5 to 7, still getting 1.3 steals a night. The field goal percentage falls 5 points as he takes on more of a playmaking role, but it's not that Hami plays better with Cade out, it's that he has to take on that load. right? So it's not necessarily his ideal version, even though he does end up putting up you know, stats that I think, um, well, actually, those stats kind of remind you of a normal Hamadou line. He just gets it in a different way um, with the ball in his hands a little bit more often. But as usual, when we watch a game, the top priorities are to view, you know, our two top rookies in the game when Cade is out, and that's Sadiq and Killian. Sadiq was horrible. One of 11 shooting, three points, three rebounds, six assists, a steal and a block. Um, he had three or four, you know, impressive assists in the first quarter. Got me excited. I thought, wow, this is going to be a Sadiq playmaking game. Um, but the streaky shooting is not going away, right? We love to see the assists come around. That part of his development is, I think, a necessary part, something he has to add. More important than, you know, him scoring at the rim is creating for others, in my opinion. But most important is that he just become a decent shooter, which at this point, he's a below average shooter. Sadiq is shooting 38% from the field on the season. 34% from three is pretty good, but 38% from the field is very bad. We know that's because of how poorly he finishes around the rim. He's averaging 15 and a half points, almost six rebounds, almost three assists with a steal and two and a half threes on the season. But in his last four games without Cade, he's up to 17 points, six rebounds, five assists, which is huge, almost a steal, and three and a half threes, shooting 33% from the field. So the counting stats are up. The assists are up. The percentage just continues to be terrible. Um, It's even a little bit down from his season average. And he just continues to be extremely streaky. Um, You know, what can you say? I, I think this does show us This type of game, which happens relatively often, does show us the flaws in his game. But, of course, like I say, the assists are important. And three and a half threes a game is is invaluable to the Pistons. So, you know, fire away, Sadiq. I just think the the Mavericks had our number in this one. Specifically, Luka. Luka was kind of uh, locking up Sadiq, which I, I was surprised by. I don't think people consider Luka a very good defender. But... But all eyes were on Killian, who had six points, two assists, uh, two rebounds, and a steal off the bench in 21 minutes. He had eight turnovers, which is horrible, really, really bad. And, you know, I think this complicates, again, the narrative of bench Killian, right? Um, We saw, quote-unquote, bench Killian have a big game last time out against the Timberwolves, and here he really failed. Um, He started strong and faded hard down the stretch getting his pocket picked a million times, something we don't see happen to Killian very much. So 
We'll talk about Killian in a, in a minute, but yeah, the Mavericks absolutely killed the Pistons. The Pistons shoot 37% and 16% from three. Every bucket, an absolute struggle. Luka had 33 points, seven rebounds, 11 assists, a steal and two blocks. He's awesome. They've built a great roster around him. Trey Burke and Reggie Bullock each hit four threes. Sadiq's Villanova teammate Jalen Brunson is a lethal scorer this year. And it wasn't so much like a height mismatch that did the Pistons in, although we know that that is one of the most common occurrences. But rather, we just got outmatched and outschemed in this one. We, we had no answers. After the break, we're going to get into our deep dive on the Frenchman, Killian Hayes. But first, we have a brand new daily fantasy partner at Sports Ethos. It's Thrive Fantasy. Prop up with Thrive Fantasy on their mobile app or at thrivefantasy.com. Use code ETHOS when you sign up to get a 100% deposit match bonus on your first deposit up to 100 bucks, plus either two or four free game tickets to play. Pick player props on the biggest names playing every night. Score points when your props hit. And the players with the most points win a share of the nightly prize money. And check out our Sports D- Ethos DFS team or podcast for advice on winners. Again, that code is ETHOS over at thrivefantasy.com. All right, I want to end the show with an extended talk about Killian Hayes. As I said, the Timberwolves game on Sunday got us all excited about fourth quarter Killian. Maybe not bench Killian for me. Fourth quarter, that's what I call him. Fourth quarter Killian, right? Ever since he shifted to the bench, he's been coming off, um, well, the bench, but playing more down the stretch in these games, playing whole fourth quarters, right? Playing more in pressure moments at the end of the game, which I think is the most important characteristic of quote-unquote bench Killian that we've seen. Um, And yeah, that little moment in the Timberwolves game, it was dominant. And it was brief. And that's sort of Killian in a nutshell. He shows us flashes. We see things in every game. We see multiple plays that remind us his potential, his skill level. But the consistency is by far the biggest issue. And if you can't remain consistent enough within games to play a whole game, well, then you're 20 years old and you're Killian Hayes. Killian is 68 games into his career. He's 20 years old. He turns 21 in July. Killian is famously born in Florida, but raised in France. There was some amount of back and forth between France and Orlando for his you know, life. But uh, for all intents and purposes, Killian was raised in France, raised French, and brought up in the academy of a French basketball team. So that's sort of you know, as a student, as a, as, a, as a kid, you're both a student and a basketball player in an academy. So it sort of like replaces school, I think. And in that way, it's sort of similar to something like an IMG academy in, uh, in the United States nowadays. Or if you're familiar with the way European soccer works, then you're probably very familiar with the concept of the academy and how... This sort of setup does prioritize early entry for teenagers, for young players, into professional sports. So even though, for example, you know, in America, you can't go to the NBA until you've had one year removed from the end of your schooling, uh, your high school days, that's not the case in Europe. And 
with academies and with clubs that are sort of vertically integrated like this, they will call guys up to the for the to the first team, to the senior team who are excelling in the lower ranks, you know, playing against guys their own age, kids their own age, and then you get promoted if you're really good. And Killian is one of these guys. He makes his French pro basketball debut in a senior level at the age of 16. He only plays three games. And then the next season, he plays a full season in France in the senior team um, as a 17-year-old before making a transfer in his 18-year year, year of life uh, to Alm in Germany, which I think people know that he played for Alm. That's sort of the club we know he played for. But he only played 10 games for Alm, which I think is interesting. In a season that was shut down by COVID, he doesn't actually get to play in probably the most important European competition in all of you know European basketball, which is the Euro Cup, which again, if you're familiar with uh, European soccer, I think this is something like the Champions League. Um, it is all the best clubs from all the various leagues in Europe playing each other for the chance to be named like the kings of Europe. Um, so that competition sounds pretty crucial uh if we were to scout european players i'd want to see them play in the euro cup you know we know luka Doncic won the euro cup as like an 18 year old he's like the mvp or something like that's that's another level of prospect altogether but in 10 games for ulm killian was really good and his highlights are really good and i think that's the first thing that i would recommend you do if you're listening to this pod if you're just sitting around, turn on the Ulm highlights. U-L-M. That's how you spell it. Killian Hayes Ulm. Uh, really, really good. First of all, watching this tape, one of the things that leaps out to me, Germany doesn't look very good uh, at basketball. <laughs> but I think that's another thing to consider in scouting international prospects is that no league around the world is even remotely close to... Um, the NBA. So whereas in, in soccer, there are five major leagues and, you know, at the very top, there's three or four that are roughly equivalent. Um, and then there's France is sort of the fifth league that, uh, people respect. And all of those leagues, you know, are considered sort of top leagues. Um, but that's just not the case in the NBA. There's, or in, in basketball, there's one league, it's the NBA. Um, you know, other leagues can try their best, but they don't really come close. And, and Germany is not really coming close in this tape. Um, but I just think it's still really important to watch these highlights of Killian to understand the type of player he is when he is like unleashed, when he is free to be himself, um, not have to worry too much about defenders and, you know, play his game. In Germany, in those 10 games, he wasn't a big-time scorer, but he was a terror, you know, in, in, in a lot of ways. Three-level scorer, three-level playmaker. He's an oversized point guard at 6'5", right? He still has that good good size for position. But I think it's not noticeable when you're watching these highlights. He's one of the bigger guys on the floor, um, even though 6'5 is not particularly tall for a basketball player. Um, and he makes good use of his size. He in his highlights he's a three level scorer. I think I said that already, but he has like a, a bag. His shots look pretty good. You know, he's getting multiple pull up threes, crafty mid range jump shots, he's hitting floaters in the lane, he's finishing at the rim regularly, even through contact. Um yeah, he's driving th he's driving downhill. Um 
with the threat to score or kick it out. He's doing both. He's finding teammates, you know, over the top of the defense using his size. These are these are sensational highlights from that perspective of scouting a prospect, right? He is a top-level point guard prospect in these highlights. It's also funny that most of these highlights are Killian on offense, which we don't think about very much, right? We know Killian as a defense-first player in Detroit, but I also think that's not necessarily true. Um, Killian in his soul, I think, is an offensive player. If you watch these highlights, he has no problem getting to various types of shots, taking them comfortably, and hitting them over defenders. Again, I think he's comfortable being bigger than the guy guarding him. We see this in the NBA too. We see when he has good matchups against like Trey Young, he'll attack Trey Young on defense. He'll make Trey play D, which he knows he can't do. And uh, Killian's had some success against smaller guards in his NBA career as well as in Germany. And I think that's part of my point here. Though the scoring stands out as um, unusual and uh, exciting in a lot of ways, nearly everything else that we see in these highlights is very Pistons Killian. Not surprising. The way he brings the ball up the floor with pace, he has an efficient and quick dribble, smooth for a guy his size. Um, We also know the passing has never been an issue. Um, in total, Killian has you know just as many, if not more, good passing highlights from the NBA as he does from Germany. Um, I would I would say he's potentially progressed in this realm because passing in the NBA is so much harder, um, and teams give him so little respect as a scorer in the NBA that it's that much harder, right? So he's making the same passes he made in Germany in the NBA, one-handed cross court, you know, heaves or or over the head or you know, quick no lookers, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, You know what I'm talking about. You watch Killian. He's doing it in the NBA. He did it in Germany and it's a lot harder to do it in the NBA. So I think that's actually a sign of progress for Killian. His scoring hasn't caught up, but his passing has and his bringing it up the floor, his ball handling, his ball security has been very good, except for the eight turnovers last night. He's actually been very good at not turning the ball over. Um, So that was more of an outlier, I think. But you see some similarities, too. I mean, even though he's much more comfortable scoring, and even though, you know, he did score a little better in Germany than he did in the NBA, you see some of his indecisiveness show up, even in his highlights, um, plays where it looks like he kind of gets bailed out. um, Probably because I know what that same play looks like in the NBA, and I know how often it ends poorly. Um, What I mean is, like, you know, Killian has a tendency to to drive and to be thinking pass the whole time and then the defense is also thinking he's going to pass the whole time and you know he'll jump and he'll turn around and he'll look around for someone to pass to and there's just nothing you know Um, an ill-considered play from the beginning we see a little bit of this in in Germany obviously like I said many times he's much more respected by his defense Um, in Germany they think he has the option to score to shoot at any point so he is able to finally get out of these situations in the end. But um, same with his footwork. It's not perfect, right? It's still not perfect now. We know it's probably regressed a little bit, um, but it's not perfect here either. A little sloppy, a little undefined uh, getting into his shots, but they definitely look better uh, in, at a lower level.
because teams don't play him the same in the NBA as they do in Germany. In the NBA, teams will sag off of Killian. They'll beg him to shoot the ball, right? They'll give him the three-point shot. They'll even let him work into the paint, hit a mid-range, not not the paint, but work inside the arc a little bit to hit a mid-range. And Killian regularly turns these shots down. We've maybe seen a couple occasions lately where he has risen up for a mid-range over a defender. I think that's really encouraging. Again, we see this in his Ulm highlights. He's shooting over his opponents who are considerably smaller than him on a lot of occasions. And so it's it's easy for him to make that decision. In the NBA, I think he's a little shocked by the size of the players and how they don't respect his shooting. Um, it makes it really hard to drive. It makes it really hard for any piston to drive to the hoop being on this team with no shooters. It's not just Killian who can't shoot. There's no shooters on the pistons. Teams will clog the paint and beat the pistons that way. Um, so... A lot of things going on here, but just to say his stats a little bit, in 10 games for Ulm, Killian averaged almost 13 points, two rebounds, six assists, a steal and a half on 45% shooting, 39% from three, and 90% from the line with 1.6 threes. Those percentages are excellent. In in all, this is a stellar stat set. In, a, in an admittedly very small sample size, only 10 games, And really, across three seasons in France and Germany, Killian only played 42 games. Again, he was ages 16 to 18. He only played 42 games. Considering how small that sample is, it's hard to say that this is a great recruiting profile, but it's a great recruiting profile. You know what I mean? If if you were to extrapolate this out, it's amazing. If you don't believe in the 10-game sample size, then it's not quite as amazing. But looking at this all, I think I have, you know, very little regrets about the Killian pick. I I do think that obviously Tyrese Halliburton would have been a better pick. But with that aside, um, it's easy to see why Killian was the top international prospect in this class and why he was a top 10 pick. I think he would be a top 10 pick again if you were to evaluate this recruiting profile and watch these highlights. He did have his 18-year-old season, his Ulm season shut down by COVID, and again, he only played 10 games as an 18-year-old. He's only played 68 games in the NBA. So there's a lot to say that this is a very small sample size for a basketball player in general, Um, even though he was raised in a basketball academy and made his professional debut at 16. uh, There's no gauntlet like the NBA. There's no other season like the NBA in the world. So He is certainly being put to the absolute test, thrown into the fire. I think to touch on the bench Killian topic, um, you also have to take it back to his rookie season when Killian was a starter straight away, never came off the bench as a rookie, despite struggling a lot, despite, well, missing a ton of time with an injury um, and only playing a few games, I think 26 games in his rookie year. That's not very much. He's played 42 games this season. That's a lot more. But still, in total, I think you're still looking at a very raw prospect from a lot of angles. The eye test, very raw. The, the, the data set, very small. You know, We don't have a lot to go off of. based on the data. Um, and in fact, when I compare starter Killian to bench Killian, there is not a big difference. On the season, Killian is averaging 25 minutes a game, six points, three rebounds, four assists with a steal. 
in the last nine games coming off the bench, well, and I should say shooting 36% from the field, 28% from three, and 80% from the line. In his last nine games, Killian has seven points a game, three rebounds, five assists, almost a steal, and a block in 23 minutes per game, shooting a better percentage, 45%, a worse three-point percentage, 17%, and a worse free throw percentage, 71%. So there's not a huge difference between bench Killian and starter Killian statistically. They play about the same minutes. He scores much more effectively um, from two-point range and is still struggling to hit threes and all of a sudden struggling to hit free throws. Um, Not that he takes very many of those. He only attempts two threes a game, and he only gets to the line for one and a half attempts a game. But six attempts at 45% is a slight improvement. Nothing earth-shattering. Certainly something that's being buoyed by his 5 of 7 shooting against the Timberwolves. So by all accounts, looking at this, I'm not sure there's a major difference between bench Killian and starter Killian. I do think he works his way into games and the benefit of coming off the bench, first of all, you get a you get a good matchup when you come into the game, you tend to be playing against second units. We know that Killian needs a favorable matchup to have any impact scoring the ball and you also get the option to have him play heavy minutes in the end of the game in the fourth quarter, something we saw in the Timberwolves game. And that's a positive thing for Killian as well. That, I think, is more important and noticeable than the impact of coming off the bench. I still find myself wondering, where's Killian? You know, when when I'm watching these Pistons games, it gets pretty far into it. And Killian hasn't come into the game yet, right? Killian won't play the first quarter. Not really. But it it feels that way, especially when you're watching Corey Joseph uh, instead of Cade. Right, The bench rule hasn't changed at all depending on Cade or no Cade. It hasn't made a difference. Killian is still coming off the bench even though there's no Cade and he's actually playing a little bit less, scoring a little bit more and getting one more assist. The five assists are really good. Um, Like I said, that's never been an issue for Killian and that's something that has carried over from Germany to the NBA even though it's considerably harder to make plays in the NBA. So that's a positive stat. And like I said, another th- another interesting thing about the highlights is they don't show Killian's defense, which again is already at an NBA level. Um, especially lately, he's been, you know, Killian says when he comes off the bench, he plays with more energy, he plays with more intensity, and that is, I think, noticeable, especially on defense, especially in the way that he can guard a variety of players. He can guard much bigger players. We saw him box out Jonas Valanciunas. We saw him, you know, lock down Jason Tatum and Brandon Ingram. I mean, these are really good matchups, tough matchups. Killian does not shy away from and is is a really strong NBA-level defender already. So the defense is there. The passing is there. Um, I think the ball handling, bringing it up the floor is there. It comes down to decision-making and shot-making for Killian, and he just needs to hit threes. That's my first takeaway. He was a good three-pointer, three-point shooter in France. He was respected as a three-point shooter, and in what that opens up a lot of his uh, the rest of his game. He needs that element. He also needs to finish at the rim. We've seen it a little bit more. We've seen it against the Timberwolves. 
We saw it last night too, really, in the Mavericks game. He started strong, faded down the stretch, but that's a positive sign, obviously. Still needs the three-pointer. He needs to get fouled. He needs to play with contact. He needs to be big, right? In Germany, he just was big, and that was an advantage. He used it. In the NBA, he is big for his position, but he's not big, right? In the NBA, there's so many guys bigger than him. He needs to learn his own size, shoot over guys, power through guys, and be that powerful big guard prospect that he he is. And my, my final takeaway really is that Killian, again, is very raw. Very much still in a prospect phase. If basketball were like European soccer, you know, Killian would have been loaned out to a French club, to a top French club, to give him a chance to develop and get more up to speed before we brought him over. But we brought him over and we started him straight away. We really threw him into the fire. And um, I think he's honestly responded pretty well, considering how little data there is on him, how sort of unknown he is as a prospect, like having played 40 something games before he comes to the NBA is is really uh, over three different years is really not that much so even though he was showing out and looking like a good prospect again there's just not that much on him um and i just can't wait for the end of the season and to see what i'm hoping for which is the end of the bench killian narrative and for killian to make his way back into the starting lineup with shooters with cade and to play with this sort of intensity and confidence that he's been bringing lately, just to see if he can put it all together. There hasn't been a huge difference statistically. There has been a little bit of a difference mentally. Killian is 20 years old. Have faith in the kid. He's coming along just fine. And I think that's where I'll end the show today. I know I talked a lot. And I talked a lot about Killian. But again, we're just waiting for this trade deadline to come down. And until that happens, it feels like a time to do this sort of thought exercise. The Pistons play the Grizzlies tomorrow, and then the Hornets on Friday. So some fun games coming up, and they're both at home. So that'll be fun too. All right, until then, I'm Joey. See you later.